talk about poop, I baby. Know. <laughs> Let's talk about poop, baby. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hi. Okay. Welcome to Macros and Mindset. Bariatric Living and Beyond. With Patricia. And Dr. Kristen. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, but gonna, fun. But fun. Yeah, we're going to have we're gonna have a little bit of fun. Um, so we were sitting here thinking, and it's like, okay, what could we talk about today that would be not only fun, but kind of relevant to lots of people out there? Um, and so we really hit on what would be the top and we're each going to do five. So the top 10 things we wish we had known personally before having bariatric surgery. Yes. Like what, what kinds of things are those? Because, and literally we, as we're sitting here talking about our lists, it's like, oh, we could talk about this and we could talk about that. And like, there's so many things. So narrowing it down was, was interesting for us. Um, and I'm sure there will be moments of squirrel right. <laughs> in this one as we're, as we're talking, because it will be like going and it's like, oh, let's go talk about that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, there are, there are things that we wish we had known, you know, and after dealing, you know, me for four years, Kristen for seven years, right? Seven sure years seven, yeah. of bariatric surgery. It's like, holy crap, there's a lot I didn't know that I've now learned. Right. You know, and so if we can provide just 10, 10, 10, just things, 10 things, just 10 things that we, you know, wish we had known to help you, um, be a little bit more prepared and that's what we would like to Right. Do. And I think so. this will help people who are pre-op and then others who are maybe in the thick of it post-op that yeah. are like, what in the heck is going yeah. on? Or, <laughs> oh my gosh, the most heartbreaking one is when I go into my group or your group or any bariatric group and I see someone post and they're like, oh my God, you guys, I've made the biggest mistake. It is not. I can't yeah. believe, I can't believe I did this to myself. I, I, this you want to know why you want to know what's going on. Yeah. Well, sometimes they tell you and sometimes it's way more than I want to know. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this is hard. This is a really hard thing to go through. This is not, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses and you're not going to have surgery and all of a sudden everything is just like perfect and you're just going to float along and the weight's just going to fall off and it's all going to be rosy. Nope. No, this is hard. I get that picture of like, I'm running through the flowers. Yeah. All right. So you want to start us off with yours? Sure. Start off with one and then we'll just go back and forth. Sure. Okay. Do it. So um, my first one is there will be times uh, you'll fight with yourself. Ooh, yes. And nobody, nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever said that there will be this internal conflict. And... Yeah. I noticed it uh, with, again, the discovery of me having anxiety mm-hmm. and that I was using food to cope. Yep. And so I think that there's a lot of ways where people will end up fighting with themselves and it could be as a result of um, emotional eating or urges or what have you, mm-hmm. or just fighting with the discomfort and the change and I just want to do things the way I used to do them or I I just want whatever normal is again that's air quotes I just want to be normal Normal again right what is normal (laughs) what is normal right so it could be I just want to go out with friends or I just want to be accepted or Mm -hmm. I just want eh. and there's this internal conflict um because things aren't the same no they're not they're not and you know I think that for me you know she she mentioned you know, for me, it's stress eating. So stress eating was a big factor for me as I didn't realize that that would still be an issue. 
Right. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. And, and so I, I would get really frustrated with myself. It's like, Jesus, it's like, come on, really? It's like, <laughs> no, this is stupid. You didn't come this far to do, you know, to do this. You didn't, you know, this is not what this is all about. Or on the flip side, having that argument with myself and being angry with myself because, you know, for me in my world of nutrition, sometimes I cook a meal that is so freaking delicious. Mm. I want more. Yeah. And I can't have it because I can't fit it in and I want more and I get mad because the old Patricia would have eaten three times the serving that I just had or four times the serving. But the new one only gets this, you know, and it's that, and I only get, you know, it, but that's not it at all. I mean, I am completely satisfied with the portion that I had, but that old mindset is like pissed off that I can't eat more or that I want more or, or, or maybe it's a, you know, for me, we just had a discussion off, offline that I cannot do high fat foods. I can't right. do keto. They make me really, really sick. And this is something that stems from before surgery is I had some medical issues before that I couldn't do high fats. But, you know, I've tried because, you know, keto is the rage. And, you know, I can't do keto. But, dang it, sometimes some of the food is freaking delicious. And so I have this, you know, okay, but do you really want that food? Yes, I really want that food. And so you have that inner discussion with yourself. And so. and the fight. Or yeah. um, your family's ordering pizza. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, oh, yeah. well, and we've talked about ways to make it very mm-hmm. friendly and, yeah. and I do. And so yet I remember being newly mm-hmm. post-op and at that time I was living with my, with my family and they, they ordered Chinese and there was this whole fight about, I want it, but I can't have it, but I want it, but I can't yeah, have it. Yeah. And then really getting clear on, wait a minute, what are you doing? Right. And honoring the place that I'm at. And then there's this real fight that's going on because you, even in those first couple months, you still haven't fully grasped and you haven't been, you, you have just started to adopt these new eating habits and soft foods and things. So you haven't had this stuff for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then there's this pull. And so there is this internal conflict that happens where, it's this disconnect and right. really getting clear on what's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel That's like knowing that you're going to fight with yourself can help you prepare for even, even writing some things down. Like what might I fight with myself about or what, you know, could it be yeah. drive through stuff or reactivity and, um, poor planning mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, junk food in the house that other family members bring in that you know you shouldn't have, but you want. Right. Or are yeah. weak to, yeah. right? And and so that's something. And where do you put it and how do you... How do you deal with that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So mine kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with the, the fighting with yourself in that it, you know, obviously mine are going to be nutrition, um, is the first thing that I think hit me the hardest right after surgery. And this was like a day or two after I got home is the drastic change in taste and smell. Oh yeah. Holy moly. My sense of smell after bariatric surgery for like two weeks was so over the top intense that I, I couldn't that. even stand my husband to be near me. Oh, I, I didn't have that, but. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I, I just couldn't stand the smell of his body. And it's like, and it wasn't that, you know, at that time I was still happily married, but it, 
I, I just couldn't stand just the smell. Every single smell, I don't care what it was, was so over the top intense. Um, and I've talked to lots of clients who've experienced that. The other thing is that your, your taste, I wish I had known. And fortunately, I did pay attention to some of the forums that said, don't buy too many things. You know, because I'm like, I'm going to go stock up on all the protein shakes. And this is before I became a nutrition coach and knew what I was doing. But, you know, I'm really glad I didn't go and buy just crap tons of, of stuff because after surgery, I couldn't drink a protein shake. I wanted savory. I wanted savory. Everything I wanted was savory. Yeah. Yeah. So I, instead of doing chocolate and vanilla and strawberry and all these other shakes, I had to go with, you know, PB2 and Fairlife with no sweeteners and, you know, just unflavored protein. I went with bone broth with added plain protein. I went with, um, you know, other broths. I did, once I got to purees, I wanted, you know, like soups and things that had, that I could add plain protein to. I wanted everything savory. I right. could not stand anything sweet. Couldn't do it. Right. Even my vitamins, I wanted to throw up every time I chewed a vitamin just because the flavors were so whacked out and intense. Um, and even water tasted different. Like water, which, you, you know, a lot of times we take for granted, uh, you know, and I do have a really super sensitive palate. I do. I think that's what helps me in, in my industry is I can go to a restaurant and I can tear apart a, a recipe and come home and make it. I mean, I can tell you what's in it. I can tell you mm. all the flavors. Yeah, it's it's it, it kind of takes the fun out of eating out sometimes. <laughs> but um, but you know, I think that even after surgery for the first couple of weeks, that those sensations of taste and smell were so incredibly heightened that it was miserable. Water. I could not drink plain water for three years. Oh, wow. I had to put flavoring in my water, even if it was cucumber slices or uh, something. Because when I would drink plain water, and I've heard a lot of other people say this, I literally got physically nauseous. And I had gone back to my surgeon's office to ask if there was something wrong Wrong. with me. And they said, no, that just... It's really normal. Yeah. And a lot of times too, like I could drink plain water, but it had to be room temperature. Like if it was hot or cold, I couldn't do it. It had to be like room temperature water. Um, I couldn't drink cold water for a long time. Oh, wow. It was a long time before I could put ice in anything. And even my shakes, I had to let them sit. You know, when I was still on doing the shakes, I had to let them sit on the counter for a while to kind of warm up a little bit before I could drink them. They just hurt and it was gross. But yeah, water had like this intense flavor to it. And I don't care what kind. I, I remember sending my husband out to get, like, go get different waters. Like, I couldn't do Dasani at all. Oh, my oh God. interesting. Couldn't do it. I still can't do Dasani. It has this weird, funky taste to me. So we went and tried all these different waters until I could find a water that I could drink. I couldn't drink tap water. That was disgusting. So, I mean, just trying to get water in was weird. So, yeah. So drastic changes in taste and smell was a big, hmm. And even now, you know... Like before surgery, I couldn't eat bell peppers. I could cook with them in small amounts, but I never would just like pick up a slice of bell pepper and chow down on it. Um, Or cilantro. Couldn't do cilantro. It tasted like soap. Now, I can't get enough of both of them. Love them on everything. Cilantro reminds me of stink bugs. I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's like, and I'd have to go in and do the research again, but there's actually, you know, it's tied to your body and your chemical makeup. Another thing, I don't know why, but spirulina, like oh. I have Ugh. a visceral reaction to it. Well, who, well, like anyways, gross. Yeah, but greens are supposed to be good for you. Yeah, I can get them other ways. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. What's next? Um, your identity will change. Ooh, yes. 
your identity will change. I mean, I knew that obviously that there were a lot of things that would change, but the whole identity, how I saw myself, um, and what I wanted. Yeah. And, and that, that identity of, um, who I wanted to be mm. would I change. Know who I wanted to be. Well, the, not just physically, mm-hmm. um, but again, and I write about this in, in bariatric mindset successes. I felt as a therapist, how could I help people when I was such, you know, at such this weight. And then after I still had this thought process of, I'm not perfect yet. Yeah. I'm not perfect yet. So I'm not perfect yet. So I still can't help people because I'm not perfect yet. And then it was this evolution of acceptance. Right. And so it was this identity shift that changed with the weight sometimes as a result of the weight and sometimes as a result of the mindset shifts that I adopted because I paid attention and, and I looked at things differently because of the confidence, because of, um, I honored what I wanted yeah. more and I would, because of that confidence change, I would go out for things more and I would say, wait a minute, why can't I do that? Why mm-hmm. couldn't I? And the things that stopped me previously was not only how I perceived myself, but how I assumed others perceived me. And that had become part of my identity was my assumption of others. So I would see myself through others' eyes. So that I, that whole identity shift. Yeah. Well, and I know, I know too, and I I think we've talked about a little bit about this before, but just, you know, going to work every day, Yeah. people perceive me differently, Right. you know? And so, and as a result of their perception of me, I started perceiving myself differently Mm -hmm. and I didn't know where, what my place was in that you know, world. world is, you know, back in my early, you know, late teens, early twenties, I used to get a lot of attention. <laughs> Not always the kind I wanted, but I used to get a lot right. of it. And then I, for so long, didn't, I mean, I, I never had attention from, from other men or let, you know, or other women for that matter, which was weird. And it's like, all of a sudden, you know, I had women talking to me about my clothes or talking to me about my hair or my makeup. And that hadn't happened in so, so many years. Right. And you know, that was a big, whoa, it's like, who, who am I now? What, what is my role in all this? You know, and it wasn't until I kind of wrapped my head around the fact that I have a new mission for myself and and that was to leave education and become, you know, a bariatric nutrition coach that all of a sudden that started coming back into light that I, it's like, okay, now I kind of know who I am again. I know what my role is. Right. I know what that is. And it, without the surgery, that wouldn't have happened. I don't know what I would have done, honestly, because I really think this was a God thing. You know, I no, kept, I too do. Yeah. I, I was looking for something. Where Where's my life going to go now after 25 years in the classroom, you know, and teaching teachers and teaching students and, you know, where am I? And I was really kind of at that point where I was just, I was lost already and didn't have a direction. And then I had surgery and all of a sudden I was lost again until I found direction. Right. Yeah, so. And I don't remember, I think I talked about this on um, another episode um, it might've been our introductory episode where, um, the year after surgery, mm-hmm. like I had, um, no, no intent or plan necessarily, but I had like suicidal ideation. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, episode. that had a lot to do with my identity, my identity, mm-hmm. because, 
um, I was also a new mom. Like there were so many things that were thrown at me, I think in, in that couple of years where, um, I remember when my husband was like, I don't want you to die. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I really have to deal with this whole weight thing. But the weight, I was in constant conflict with the weight. And it was like, I had also had this assumption that if I had just lost the weight, that life would be good. And I was losing the weight and it wasn't about the weight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was about, Oh wait, who, who am I identifying as who, who am I? Mm -hmm. And so really that rediscovery process and I find that tons of bariatric patients are like, okay, who am I now? Mm-hmm. Which, which prompted me to, to write the rediscover you journal, because I know tons of people who don't know who they are. Right. And, and that's part of this process is, okay, who are you now? And it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 50 no. or 70. Cause we, you know, yeah. I have clients that are in their seventies. It's still, who am I now? What do I want now? You still get to decide that you 70 get- is the new 50. It really God, is. It is. Yeah. It is. We have so many clients that are in their 70s and it's like you would never know. You no. Never know. No. I don't feel 54. <laughs> so, so looking at how your identity may change, mm-hmm. expecting it to and being open um for it to and being open to both the highs and the lows of that. Yeah. Because there could be some mourning and there could be some um elation. For sure. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna lighten things up a little bit. <laughs> that was a really good one, though. But that's that it is. I mean, and again, these are things that we wish we had known prior to going into surgery. Right. Um, so for me, um, I kind of laugh with my clients and I say it's not a discussion with Patricia unless we talk about poop. Um, so here we go. I know, I know, I know. I've got a friend who's gonna be cringing listening to this, but um, so. I had no idea. Let's talk about poop, baby. I know. Let's talk <laughs> about poop, baby. <laughs> I don't know. Are we allowed to use that jingle? I don't know. We oh, might have to know. edit that out. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, constipation was an issue for me prior to surgery. It was. Um, I had an IBSC terrible for years and years and years and years. Um, and my surgeon had told me that, oh, surgery is going to fix that. You're not going to have to worry about that anymore. Hold up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because let me tell you what, guys, that first time you go to the bathroom after surgery is nothing short of horrendous. I would rather give birth naturally to a 10-pound child than experience that first poop again. I know. Well, (laughs) I had natural childbirth twice, but mine were only seven pounds. So, yeah, it's horrendous. It's terrible. So, you've got to be prepared for how to handle constipation after surgery. Didn't know that. And so, fortunately, I know how to help with that too. And so, it all comes down to water and it comes down to fiber, Mm. which are carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not the enemy. Not at all. We need them. We have to have them. And here's the thing, guys. Um, Healthy carbohydrates. Healthy carbohydrates. Yeah. High fiber, healthy carbohydrates. Um, Yes, there are a bazillion supplements out there. There are laxatives. There are so still softeners. You, so what do you do right after surgery where you can't have broccoli or cauliflower or yeah. something that's fibrous? Well, you have to take things like Miralax with your or protein stool softener uh, and colace. And, I mean, it was both. Um, I remember because I was like 14 days post-op and still hadn't gone. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Okay. Well, and I you know, know what? some of you are going, oh my God, I don't want to hear this. Yeah, but, but y'all, this is the reality of this. But, this happens time and time again. But I know that part of this is also because of the anesthesia. It is because of the anesthesia. And it's because of the fact that we are doing nothing but consuming protein. There are no carbohydrates in our diet for the first couple of weeks. Oh, that's true. And without carbohydrates, without fiber, we can't. We, there, there's not stuff to go. Now, some people, a very small sector of people, do have the opposite. And they end up with diarrhea. Very small sector. Most right. people end up with constipation. And it can be chronic for bariatric patients. But the way to fix that, again, is through your diet and not with supplements. You know, yes, we need them in the beginning. I just, you know, I remember having to do this cocktail of Miralax and, like, Pedialyte oh. for two days is what my doctor wanted me to do. Oh, my God. It was, it was horrendous. And still, after finally relieving myself, it was, you know, it was like I never wanted to poop again because it was so terrible. Um, but, you know, I also didn't realize that going to the bathroom every single day is healthy. Yeah. You know, it is. I mean, and some doctors will say, oh, every two to three days is fine. For a bariatric patient, no, we need to be going every day. I go every day. And you can. You can if you're eating right. And so that's something else to wrap your head around is you have to understand the importance of healthy high fiber carbohydrates mm -hmm. and water because without the two of them, you are not going to go. You do not want to become dependent on laxatives and stool softeners because your body will stop working on its own. Hmm. And you will then have to go through a reparation period. And I have two clients I'm dealing with right now. I know that. Oh, yeah. They can't poop without, without medication. Awful. It's horrible. And so they're having to reset their body medically to allow their bowels to start working correctly again because they lived on laxatives and stool softeners for so long. We need to talk offline. I know. Because I have a poop tap. I know you do. <laughs> I know. I saw it in the group. Okay, so yeah, pooping will be horrendous, and it's so important to understand that constipation is a very real thing. Yeah. There you go. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you lightened it up, um, <laughs> and and hopefully it's not stopped up. <laughs> uh, stinky topic. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go for my number. Oh my god, we're out of control. <laughs> I know. I'll go for my number three. Others will treat you differently, and mm. it's and it's not because you have gas, which <laughs> can also be a problem. Which can also be a problem. Oh my god, Patricia, my farts smell so bad. What am I gonna do? Yeah, I get that too. Go ahead. This, this could go in a couple different areas. So others will treat you differently because um, as a person who um, struggles with obesity, who is obese, uh, you are invisible. Yes. And then as the weight starts coming off, people see you. Mm -hmm. And then people think that they have a right because of our culture mm -hmm. to comment mm -hmm. on your weight loss. Yep. What have you been doing? Mm -hmm. You've lost a lot of weight. What are you eating? And now all of a sudden your weight, your nutrition, your dietary habits are the topic of whoever's conversation. Mm -hmm. If you, if you've told them that you've had weight loss surgery, mm -hmm. okay, maybe it's an open topic, mm -hmm. but if you have not told them and they're making it a topic of conversation, it can be very uncomfortable yes. and it can be inappropriate. So for that, I would say you absolutely have the right to say, I appreciate your 
attempts at compliments or I appreciate your compliments, your interest interest in my journey. journey. Um, However, I'm not open to having this conversation. I'm not open to discussing my weight loss journey. And I know that may sound a little harsh for some people. They, you may not want to say that yet. It's important because in our society and in our culture, we will not necessarily, unless you're Patricia's grandma, um, say, (laughs) have you gained weight? (laughs) Right. Um, people won't necessarily say that because that's considered, um, inappropriate, But But they'll talk about how much much you've lost, which Mm -hmm. I think is, is very inappropriate and yet, um, and and it's uncomfortable. And so you become more visible. Mm -hmm. People treat you nicer, which can also be uncomfortable uncomfortable and a total mind. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it. There's compliments Mm -hmm. that you may have never received before. You're, you're visible. You're seeing attention from the opposite sex, um, a lot more attention Mm -hmm. and people will treat you differently. And then there's the whole other topic of friends that then become upset potentially because you've lost so much. And so you're not the token anymore for some, you know, for some people. You have a newfound confidence. You have a newfound confidence. And that makes them uncomfortable. There's lots of reasons. There's, there could be some jealousy or some discomfort there. Um, You've changed. You've changed. You're not the same. Yeah. Yeah. And so that can impact relationships too. So I think that is a, is a very good one that I wish I knew in terms of people treating you differently. And then as a result, expectations, relationships and things like that. Well, I mean, and I talked about this in one of our recent episodes is going shopping. Yeah. Same store. I used to shop in all the time, had both a plus size and a missus section. And I shopped in the plus size section all the time and nary a soul would talk to me while I was there. I never had a salesperson. They might breeze by and go, hey, I'm here. If you need any help, just let me know. And they'd keep walking. But nobody ever helped me. And so I was used to shopping by myself when, lo and behold, I ended up over in the Mrs. section. All of a sudden, I had three salesgirls handing me clothes and asking me what size I needed. And, oh, you would look so cute in this. And I was so overwhelmed. I had to leave the store. And I went to my car and I cried. Right. Because I was so overwhelmed. It's like, I, what is, what the hell? Speaking of that, I didn't write this down, but you're going to need a budget for clothes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. You will need a budget for clothes. I won't go but, to, but that's, yeah. yeah. I could have a whole episode on clothes and how to make things last through multiple sizes. Then we'll have to um, add that to yeah, our list. Yeah, we need to add that to our list. Um, another thing that goes kind of along with this too is, is a story where I had where a colleague at work who pretty much dismissed me as a, you know, unworthy peon all of the time. <gasps> Um, when I was heavy. That's awful. Oh, it was terrible. And it was clear, it was evident that this person, and it's a he, wanted nothing to do with me as a heavy person. Well, after I had lost 80 pounds, I ran into him on the elevator going up to my office one day. And not only did he look me up and down, which made me so unbelievably uncomfortable, but he didn't even recognize who I was and asked me who I was in a very sexual way ew ew Ew. yeah was not ready for that i got off and i was sweating i like it literally made me so uncomfortable i started sweating i went to my office and i sat there and i broke down in tears and i'm like what the hell just happened yeah i mean i totally could have filed for sexual harassment totally could have it was that uncomfortable yeah so stuff like that happens you just got to be prepared for it you have to be ready for people to notice. For people to see you different. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. What's your next one? Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, emotions. Oh. Okay. So right after surgery, again, um, emotions are going to be all over the map. If you are not an emotional, yeah. If you are, and I laugh. If you're not an emotional person, hold on to your butt because you're gonna be. I don't care who you are. I have grown men who've had surgery who will go, "What the hell is happening to me, Patricia? Oh my God, I started crying the other day, or I can't control my emotions. I just want to cry all the time, or I'm just angry all the time, or I'm just this all the time." Your emotions will be on such an extreme roller coaster for a while. And for me, it was about two months where it was just absolute chaos. I think they need to tell people that um, you release hormones in, when your fat cells are shrinking. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. Yes, for sure. That needs to be known. So not only is the lack of carbohydrates in the first few weeks important because carbohydrates are the preferred fuel of the brain, but our fat cells hold on to our hormones. And when we have that rapid weight loss in the beginning... All of those fat cells are releasing those hormones and stuff just goes bonkers. It's crazy. And so a lot of bariatric patients end up going on antidepressants after about three months. But that, you know what? That's another thing to talk about mm-hmm. is the antidepressants mm-hmm. because the dosage is different depending yes. on what type of surgery you yep. have. So it's a very important that you talk to your psychiatrist yes. about dosing and yep. let them know that you've had the surgery because I've heard a lot of people have to change their dosing. I had to, okay. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, I suffered from chronic depression for years um, and was on a variety of different depression medications, mm-hmm. um, depression, anxiety, um, found out it was all situational, which Interesting. Is, is kind of, in retrospect, we didn't know at the time. Right. Um, it started with postpartum depression, which was very, very real with my second child. Right. Um, but then rolled into situational depression. So I was on depression meds for um, 17, 18, almost 18 years. Um, and then after surgery, I stayed on right. for about three months mm-hmm. and realized, I don't think I need these anymore. And I did what you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And stop them <laughs> and without the doctors. Without can... my doctor knowing. But you know what, guys? I don't need them anymore. I don't need them anymore. And that is liberating in itself. Now, I'm not advising people to do that for sure. Definitely talk to your doctor. And my doctor did monitor me for the next six months to make sure everything was okay. Um, but I was on a low dose to begin with because right. we had taken after surgery and adjusted my dosage. So I went from the highest dosage of what I was on down to the very lowest dosage. And even then at the lowest dosage after surgery, I was only taking half of the tablet right. on the lowest dosage. Um, and I had completely eliminated my anxiety meds at that point. So I had already weaned myself way down. Well, so. And, and so there's a couple of things that yeah. I want to add to that, which is, you know, the emotions after you could have a bunch of people who are grieving yes. the loss of food yes. and their coping mechanism. Yeah. And so you might actually, we might actually see people do the reverse, which yeah. is because they may have never been on any depression or anxiety meds. Mm-hmm. And after surgery, they're grieving the loss of their primary coping mechanism. And then, you know, there's no shame in being on medication. If you need it, you need it, you know, whatever works for you. Right. And yet that could be something else to look at is some people might be going on medication after surgery because they were never diagnosed with depression or anxiety. Right. And now they do have it 
especially because they're not coping with food, potentially, potentially. And so again, I've heard a lot of people who are um, going through a period of grief and loss Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because again, not just the identity, but in the first few months, I've lost that coping mechanism. Oh my gosh, I'm depressed. Oh my gosh, I'm anxious. I can't get off the couch. All of those things, and they may need to start seeing a psychiatrist. So it just depends on the situation. Well, I I recommend to clients all the time. It's like, look, okay, I'm not trying to, you know, diagnose you. I mean, it's not (laughs) in my realm, but from you may need I'm to go hearing, talk to somebody. You need to go talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. And I've had several clients who have then had to get on. And if you, something. and if you're not sure if you're, if you're not ready to reach out to a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. go to your primary care yes. physician to start off and then get a referral. Right. My primary care physician actually monitored everything, but he was incredibly well-versed in, um, depression and anxiety. So right. He, that was one of his areas of expertise. Right. So. And, and, and again, a co-occurring disorder with obesity is depression yes. and anxiety. Absolutely. And so, not uncommon. Not uncommon. Not uncommon. Okay. Moving on. Um, Have we bummed you guys out yet? <laughs> no, right? But I mean, this is important. This is important so, stuff. So the next one is kind of heavy, but I think it's important, which is... Oh, great, Kristen. Yeah, Bring right? it down again. Bring it down. <laughs> which is emotional eating, stress eating, and the diet mentality does not go away when they cut out your stomach. No. Or cut up your stomach. Yeah. Or stripes. Make your stomach smaller, right? right? Depending on the type of surgery you have. Right. Those things don't go away, which kind of goes hand in hand with what I was just talking about is yeah. if you have a an emotional relationship with food, mm-hmm. if you're a stress eater, an emotional eater, um, if you have issues with sugar and white flour and you're not able to let go of those things, like... Mm, it's time, you know, yeah. it's time for you to go talk to somebody because, um, there could be a hidden eating disorder there. And a lot of times they find that in the pre-op psyche valves. Mm-hmm. Um, but not always, <laughs> but not always, because again, there are unfortunately, Some sadly programs have really great ones and others. Yeah. Complete jokes. Well, the thing that I get upset about and is that there are books on how to pass your psyche valve, like, yeah. which makes me sad because there's a reason yes. why I never had one. There's a psyche valve. You never had a psyche valve. Nope. Did you go to Mexico? No. You're kidding. Nope. You never had nope. a psyche valve. Like I am nope. mind blown right now. Nope. I had a one hour meeting with my surgeon where he showed me a PowerPoint and told me when you're ready to schedule surgery, call me. I'm going to try to close my mouth right now because it's hanging on the floor. I know. I was, a, okay. I, I, I was a private pay because. I was cash pay. Yeah. I know. I was cash pay because, and I've told that story, um, because insurance didn't cover it. However, I still had to have a psyche valve. Yeah, no, I didn't. Oh my god! I don't recommend it, but I also have clients who literally and in mexico you don't yeah you don't have to have here in the states they had a phone call they asked three or four questions and they checked off of that insurance box and that was it like and then i have others who've gone through like two hour interviews and and i know know, that there are people there's such a range and i know that there are people who are angry like why do i have to jump through all these hoops guys this is for your health there's it's for like mental health is an issue it is an issue. It is it is a responsibility because if if you're not able to sustain the the lifestyle change, then it's it's a liability. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I could I could sit here hemming and hawing about how shocked I am, but <laughs> to to this point, emotional eating, stress eating, eating disorders mm-hmm. such as binge eating, mm-hmm. um, and the diet mentality and restricting all of those things do not go away because you've had weight loss surgery and the psych stuff is so important. Integrated health is so important for this issue because the food is a coping mechanism in that space. It is not, um, it's not going to heal the emotional issues. So you gotta, you've got to work on the emotional issues. So I think that's important because again, I didn't know that I had anxiety till I was 18 months out and I was a therapist. Right. I didn't realize I was a stress eater until about a month ago. <laughs> and I'm four years out. It was like all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm sitting in my in my desk and I'm like, I was super stressed over some things that were going on, both you know personally and, and professionally. And it was like, all I could think about was stuffing food in my face. And I'm like, what the hell? Yep. So it's like, yeah. That's, so that's my go away. awareness is key. Yeah. Getting help is key. Okay, so next on my list. All right, so um, kind of running along the vein of, you know, eating and things is you have to schedule your food and water. Yeah. And there's a big reason for this. So your surgery, especially for the first six months and up to a year, will do a lot of the work for you. Now, that's a good thing. I feel like we've thing. said that like 10 yeah, times today. I know. I know. Well, right, in other episodes. Um, so the surgery will do some of the work for you. You're not going to feel hungry. But let me tell you from a nutritional standpoint and from, you know, four years of working with bariatric clients that you must eat. You must drink. And because your body is not going to tell you that it's hungry for a while, right. you have to schedule it. Because here's the deal, guys, your body's a machine. Right. And even if you're not hungry, if you're not putting fuel in that machine, it's not going to function properly. And all kinds of really horrendous things can happen. You can end up in the hospital from malnutrition or dehydration. Yeah. You can have a loss of muscle. You can have a loss of bone density. Right. I've got clients who are now five and six years out whose teeth are falling out. And they're having tons of dental issues because they did not eat properly in the first year to two after their surgery. Or take supplements, right? Or take supplements or consume the right kinds of protein. Um, So here's the deal. I started my schedule at five weeks post-op. And I still, to this day, four years out, follow almost the exact same schedule. I start my very first food within 30 minutes of my feet hitting the floor. I eat a protein ball. And if you don't know what those are, go to my website, message me, talk to me. Little bundles of joy are about 100, 110, <laughs> 120 calories. They Aren't they amazing? They're, 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 they're very really tasty. They're very tasty. I have cinnamon apple in my refrigerator right now. Um, so I have that to get my metabolism started. So that jump starts my metabolism. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I do that. Um, and then I have my last snack typically around 10 o'clock at night. I go to bed um, around midnight. And... So I keep my metabolism burning as hot as possible for as much of the day as possible. So eating on schedule, even if I'm not hungry, is critical um, to maintaining proper health. Absolutely. And again, your body is not going to tell you what you need to eat. You have to figure it out. So, you know, and you can't skip meals. So 
the binge eating compulsive eating workbook by Carolyn Ross. Um, this is an excerpt from hers. She says, do not skip meals, especially breakfast. Eating early and frequently throughout the day stimulates your body's engine to burn calories. In the beginning, as your body adjusts to eating regularly, you may experience a slight weight gain. This is because your body is used to holding on to the calories it gets when you feast in order to prepare for the fast it knows is coming. With time, eating regularly will boost, wait, what? Boost your metabolism and your weight will decrease to a healthy level. Hmm. So guys, you know, I, you know, and okay, I was one of them. I didn't eat breakfast. I drank coffee all morning Mm -hmm. and I would eat typically around noon. That was the first food that would go in my body. And I quickly realized that that was doing more harm than good to my body. And so my own nutrition coach in the beginning challenged me to have a protein ball every day for two weeks within 30 minutes of waking up. And she goes, just tell me how you feel. Well, lo and behold, after about three or four days, I started getting hungry around 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And it's like, okay. All right. So that's kind of weird. It's like, I wasn't used to that. And so I started following that pattern. So I would have my protein ball about two hours later, I would have my breakfast and about two hours later, I would have my lunch and about two to three hours later, I'd have my afternoon snack. Right. And I started eating on that schedule and lo and behold, the weight just fell off. I never, ever once experienced a stall in my entire weight loss journey because I ate on schedule and I've kept my body fueled and my body became used to it. What did you do to stay on the schedule? Like, what do you recommend to people who are, who are struggling with a schedule? I set timers on my, on literally set timers on my, my phone of when I needed to eat. Right. Just set timers. I mean, that's what I did. And then when you prep, you just pull it out of the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. I just pull it out of the fridge. So, I mean, I keep, and, and again, you know, having food ready. This is why meal planning and prepping is so critical. I plan my entire week out on Saturday or Sunday. I do my grocery shopping and I cook my breakfast, my protein balls. I get everything ready on the weekend. So all I have to do, because guys, I'm busy. I mean, I'm busy like you guys are. And at the time of my weight loss journey, I had a family and, you know, I had a kid I had to take to school every day and I had to go to work. And I mean, I, you know, I had an hour commute each way and an eight hour work day. And then I was coming home and you know, I was starting this business and so I was working, you know, 14 hours a day. Right. If I didn't have my food prepped, I, who knows what would have happened. So I took that time, I made myself a priority and I prepped so that right. I had food ready to grab. So eating and drinking food and water on a schedule is critical. Right. Is critical. Absolutely. I wish I had known that because I didn't know that. Yeah. That is important. Yeah. My last one. Hi, I'm Kristen and I'm a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) So, um, setting boundaries, healthy boundaries, um, with others Mm -hmm. are a part of self-worth and people pleasing was a behavior that I engaged in as a result of my obesity. And so I people pleased to try to compensate for how I felt about myself and, and kind of going back to that visibility and invisibility thing that we talked about before. Um, the thing that came up for me was when I was people pleasing Mm -hmm. and compensating for what I thought was less than, 
because of how I felt about myself because of obesity, I was not setting healthy boundaries. And so I was letting other people run me over. Yeah. And as a result of not setting healthy boundaries, um, I was not putting myself first. And so one of the things that I learned, and, and nobody tells you this, nobody tells you that your, that your self-worth and how you are seen by others and how you're, you allow others to kind of run over you mm-hmm. is impacted by your boundaries or what you will say that you'll do. So again, the people pleasers, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Sure. No problem. And I would pile my plate because I was the people pleaser and I wanted people to like me. And I felt that they couldn't like me naturally because of my weight, because of what I looked like, because of my obesity. And that doesn't go away when you lose weight. Yeah. And when you don't set healthy boundaries and you don't learn to say no and you put yourself last, that interferes with your weight loss journey. It interferes with you being able to take care of yourself and put yourself as a priority, which is something that we've talked about because you mentioned it, Mm -hmm. right? Self-care is a priority Mm -hmm. and we've got to be our own priority. And in order to do that, because nobody else is going to do it. Because nobody else is going to do it. So we've got to set healthy boundaries with others and, and, and with ourselves. And so that means, okay, I'm going to schedule my workouts just like a doctor's appointment. I'm going to schedule my meal prep just like I would another appointment. I'm going to put myself first. And that's part of a healthy boundary with myself. And then setting healthy boundaries with others. No, I'm not able to do that. No, I'm not available for that. No, not because we don't love them, but because we're starting to love ourselves. And, and that is, you know, you mentioned, you know, scheduling time. Oh, yeah. Y'all, seriously, if you could see my calendar, I literally schedule time to go to the grocery store. I put it in there. Yeah. I schedule time to meal prep. I schedule time for, even on some days, I schedule a lunch break for myself. Because if I don't, I will work through lunch. Yep. Me too. I mean, I'm four years out, so I don't get hungry as often. And I can go further in between meals because I can eat more. I mean, I'm eating 16 to 1700 calories a day now, but it has to be scheduled, but it has to be scheduled. Setting healthy boundaries with others is as important as setting healthy boundaries with yourself and recognizing that you might be a recovering people pleaser. How does that, how is that as a result of your obesity and a result of your self worth and self esteem because of how you saw yourself? Right. Exactly. And, and that's something that I don't think anybody discusses. So I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay. All right, last one, and this one's kind of heavy too. Wah, wah, wah. Sorry, oh, wow. um, but it's important. It is These really are important. important things. Um, so, body dysmorphia. Oh yeah, I didn't even know what that was before surgery. Never heard of it. Didn't have a clue. Didn't get it. But holy hell, you guys, let me tell you, it's real. And I'll be brutally honest, I still suffer. I yeah. still suffer at four years post-op. I so. think it's, yeah, I think it can be happening day to day because there are days, okay, I'm going to lighten it up. There are yeah. days I look in the mirror and I'm like, you are a specimen. You <laughs> are a goddess. <laughs> and then there are days where I'm like, who? Like you are smoking. Right. Yeah. You're smoking. And then yeah. there are days where I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I know. 
Who oh is that? Yeah. Right. And yeah. there are days that I feel fat yeah. in, in my current body. And then oh, there yeah. are days where I'm like, ooh, girl, look yeah. at that bootay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. Okay. So, yes. So, if, for those of you that don't know what body dysmorphia is, it's the inability to connect what your eyes see with what the reality is and the way your right. brain wraps its head around the visual image. Right. And so, and I'm, I'm sure that there is a much more, and Christian's probably looking it up right now, um, a, a more clinical description, but that's kind of the layman way of, of looking at it. You got it? Yeah. Well, and also body dysmorphic disorder is a mental illness involving the obsessive focus on a perceived flaw of appearance. Right. Um, the flaw may be minor or imagined, but the person may spend hours a day trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. They may try cosmetic procedures or exercise in excess. Right. And so people with this disorder may frequently examine their appearance in a mirror, constantly compare their appearance with that of others, or avoid social situations or photos. Exactly. So I will say, and there has been research on this, your, your eyes, mm -hmm. and when you see yourself, and um, it actually takes a couple months especially since we're losing weight so fast. Mm -hmm. You think if you look at how fast we lose and everybody's going to lose at a different rate. So if you've lost 60 pounds in three months mm -hmm. and, and there's some people that may lose 90 pounds in three months, right. right? So your brain will still see yourself in that two X or that three X, yes. even though you may be 60, 90, 120 pounds lighter. Yes. You may still, and I see these on the message boards all the time. Like, ah, I'm, I haven't lost, I know I've lost 120 pounds, but I still look, you know, fat yeah. or I still look, you know, whatever that judgment word is that they insert. And yet, so this is where I will tell people, put your pre-op photo, like do a crop, look, yeah. do a side by side, like take a photo now and put that up in front of your mirror Yeah, because your eyes, you will not be able to see it. Right. So put the before and, and maybe not after, cause you may mm -hmm. not be done, right. but put your... I did progress photos. Progress. Once, once yes. Once. I did. I never did those. Oh, I did. Tons. I did one with just my those. face. And I actually have a collage of like the first year of like every month I took a picture of just my face. It's like from shoulders up. Right. Side by side just to see what it looked like. I don't have any yeah. of yeah. those. I totally recommend doing that. Please, for the love of God, take pictures of yourself. So, so. that you can see the yeah. progress yeah. and then celebrate your successes. Yes. Because... And, and the other thing that I've seen, take your, measurements. take your measurements, right? The other thing that I've seen that people will do that's, you know, conversely is they will judge themselves for their minor imperfections yeah. or the hanging skin. Yeah. They Ugh. judge themselves once they've gotten to goal or close mm -hmm. to goal or, and then they start picking themselves apart. Yeah. I, I can be guilty of doing that. I have to be careful. But you like know, by wings, yeah. Oh, yeah. I fly all day long. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. But but that, I'm proud of where I am. I'm but yeah. there are days that I and I I've always sworn that I would never have skin removal surgery. I got I'm I'm pretty lucky. I mean I'm I'm five nine. I I don't look terrible in clothes. <laughs> but there are times that I'm like I should just have skin removal surgery because I just can't handle this. I, I'm not ready yeah. yet. Yeah. Like I I want to do the stomach. Yeah. Um. But. I'm either yeah. I'm going to have another baby or I'm going to get too old and then I'm just going to do it. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's where I'm yeah. at. <laughs> and at 55, I'm not having no baby, but you, know, hey. but you know, and, and honestly with the body dysmorphia thing, I I've seen research that says anywhere from one to three years to five to seven years post off yes. 
I mean, and not post-op, just after you hit your goal. Correct. Before you start seeing yourself as who you really are. Right. Um, but, you know, like, for instance, I even just this week, I was wearing a little dress, and I didn't have my Spanx on because I almost always wear Spanx with a dress. And, of course, I sit down. Well, y'all, come on. You know, I've lost 120-something pounds, and you're going to have some loose skin. And, oh, yeah. And when you sit down, you're going to spread out a little bit. Right. And I look down, and I'm like, what the hell? Oh, my God. I'm so, what, whoa. You know, and you get this sense of fear. Or even worse, um, I. Your judgy comes in. Yeah, the judgy comes in. Or, you know, the, the whole walking through a restaurant or something. And, you know, you, ha- you used to have to turn sideways to get through the tables, you know, so you didn't bump into anybody. And you start doing that again. Or you go to sit down and you're like, oh, is my ass going to fit there? You know, and I mean, I had that happen to me just last month. I was, you know, I was sitting on a couch. I, talk, I think I talked about it in our first episode of, you know, there were three people already on the couch and there was room for one person. And I'm like, there is no way my butt is going to fit in that, that spot. And I had this moment of panic because I, in my head, I right. didn't see that I could fit there because of body dysmorphia. It's like, I still saw myself as too large to fit in that spot when in actuality I did go sit down and I fit fine. And it, the sense of relief that came over me from that. Mm-hmm. And, but then I was so disengaged in what was going on in the room because I couldn't get out of my head that fear that I had all of a sudden again. Mm-hmm. And so I lost like 30 minutes of fun because I couldn't get out of my own head in thinking about that. And so these are things that you just don't know about when you go to have surgery. You don't know that these things are going to happen. Right. And, and, I and think... they don't always happen to everyone. No. We want to say that. No. But there is a high likelihood that these 10 things could happen to any of us in any combination. Yes. And again, if you... It's hard to say when, you know, some of this simple, um, stuff that's going to happen again, that the body dysmorphic stuff is, is going to resolve on its own by, you know, being kind and compassionate and loving and things like that. I didn't go to therapy for body dysmorphia, but that doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't or or, right. Because you also need to know if it's persistent and it's really or negatively could or could be yeah. harmful or negatively yeah. impacting your life. Like you may need to see a therapist yeah. about it. Um, you know, I was um, seeing a therapist for something else, but it was so yet I brought it up and it was like less than a five minute conversation because it was like, okay, that's normal and mm-hmm. moving on. Right. So, and it was about being kind and compassionate because the judgy negative, um, you're not perfect yet. You know, that voice, um, it's, it can be loud and critical and, and hateful. And so what's super important is that we're aware of, um, what's going on within us. And again, if you have not encountered this yet, if you're still pre-op, know that it can pop up. And again, Mm -hmm. take those pictures. I did not, um, again, because of my own shame stuff, I didn't, I never thought I was going to do this. Never. I still use videos that I took, that I made when I first started the business, when I was still in the weight loss phase. So I still have videos that I use when I teach classes because it shows people, look, this is where she came from. And I'm, I'm proud of those. I mean, I'm really proud of those in those videos where I was still obese. So, yeah. And it's good to have those. It's good to have those. But I'm. I don't have any of those. Yeah. I mean, I had to like dig for. Yeah. Well, you have some pictures. We've used. Yeah. One. I mean, yeah. We, we used one for in the promos for this. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you know, and you were beautiful then. Thank you. Because mm-hmm. I love you. Okay, so 
That kind of wraps up our 10. Although I do want to take, because we have a couple extra minutes. I Go do want to do a question from the web. Go. And we're going to call it a new segment. We're going to call it for today, Wonderings from the Web. So okay, Wonderings from the Web. Yeah. Okay. So, and I don't have a clue who this person is, but she, she grabbed us on Instagram, and it's Bubbles 614 Okay. Asked us, she said, perhaps could you do a segment on how best to go about calculating total daily calories and total daily sugar intake? Also, the benefits or negatives of net carbs versus counting total carbs. And guys, I'm going to answer this one really quickly. Yeah, because okay. I have no idea. Yeah, this is, this is easy <laughs> one, which is why I was like, I can do this one right now. Okay. So here's the skinny on this. Um, okay, so how best to calculate daily calorie totals? Um, it depends on where you are in your surgery. And it really is not the same for everyone all the time. Um, after doing a, almost 900 consultations for BMRs, which is something that I do in my business, um, I have found that most people who choose to follow balanced macros, which is a high fiber, low fat plan, which is what I followed, most people without exercising more than just like 20 to 30 minutes a day of walking come in at around a thousand calories a day for the weight loss phase after bariatric surgery. Okay. And again, this is nutrient dense food and it's the right kinds of food. You right. Have to be cognizant of what you're choosing. For those who follow balanced keto, which really works best for those with PCOS type 2 diabetes, Hashimoto's, other insulin-resistant diseases, or those who have an identified carb or sugar addiction, um, those most of those people come in at around 1,000, I mean, around 1,200 calories. Um, and because the of reason, the increase in Because fat. of the increase in, in the caloric value of the fats. It's not because it's more food. It is because fats are more than double calorie per calorie than carbohydrates and proteins. Right. Okay. So we need to have a little bit bigger cushion to get the protein minimums in. Okay. Because we still have to hit our protein goals as bariatric patients, which is right. why my balanced keto plan was developed the way it was. Um, so the co- total calories really depends. Once you start adding exercise, um, for every approximate 15 minutes, it's one to 200 calories more per day. Um, And again, that's something that I can definitely help you figure out. As far as daily sugar intake, um, I recommend all of my clients, um, even those that are diabetic, set a goal of 25 grams a day during the weight loss phase. Now, that's not a hard, fast number because if you're following balanced macros and you're eating healthy, high fiber carbs, that's going to include include fruits and vegetables and oats and dairy all of which have natural sugars. Right. And so the key is to keep it at around that 25 grams per day mark. If you are diabetic, obviously you have to monitor that. And I like to keep my diabetic people at less than 25. Typically most of them come in at around 20. Um, Okay. Benefits, negatives of net carbs versus counting total carbs. All right. Here's the deal on net carbs. Net carbs were not created by nutrition um, industry. They were created by the food industry as a marketing ploy to make their foods sound healthier. Um, They are not recognized by the FDA and any of the true governing bodies of nutrition. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It's just a way of making food sound healthier. So always, always, always count total carbs and track your fiber. Okay. Yeah. So always track both. The key is I set my goal for my clients at 20 grams or more for balanced macros of fiber a day. Uh That meets industry standards um, in both the United States and Canada and elsewhere in the world for most adults um, following balanced macros. For balanced keto, 
we want to keep it at 10 grams or less or around 10 grams. If we can hit, if we can hit 10 grams of fiber, that's fantastic. Um, even if you can hit more, not or less, but or more, 10 grams right. or more for balanced keto. It's hard to get 10 grams of fiber on 1,200 calories on keto, but we can do it. And there's ways that we can do it. Um, Oikos triple zero Greek yogurts are a fantastic way to get in some extra fiber. Um, and even keto, because we're doing keto light in my plans, um, can work. So that hopefully helps to answer your question, Fluffin Bubbles 614. Um, thanks for asking. If you guys have any questions in the future that we can answer, um, and there are others that we will get to. Some of them require a lot more work um, and, and could be a whole segment in themselves, which we will plan. Um, but uh, go to either find us on Instagram, either Kristen or myself. Um, mine is my bariatric kitchen and Kristen is bariatric mindset, bariatric mindset. um, or go to my bariatric kitchen online.com and shoot us a message there or, you know, look for one of our posts on the podcast in our Facebook groups. Yeah. You can ask us questions. Um, we're also looking for, um, guests to appear on our segments. So if you have a suggestion for a professional you'd like to hear from, um, please let us know, or if you are a bariatric patient who might want to share their story, we're always looking for ideas in connecting with the community as well. And we might have you on as guest. So, and we're excited yeah. to talk to you next time. Yeah. All right. So guys, we're going to wrap it up today. Thank you again for, for listening. Um, and we will catch you next time. Next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The content included in this podcast is for information and education purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your surgeon, physician, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical issue or concerns. Thanks.